Welcome to the Eastman Dental Podcast, where we hope to inspire, motivate, and provide education from our guests' experience. So this week's guest is Emma Riley. Emma started her career as a dental nurse with Ellis Paul, who many of you will know as the godfather of good posture and four-handed dentistry. We had to learn how to approach them, sit them down into the bed, support them. No instruments on his side at all. They were all on my side. From there, she went on to undertake roles in specialist periodontal practices, as well as working in Manchester Dental Hospital. And she then became the only Macmillan oral health practitioner in the country. And if people see passion, they'll listen to you. You might be wrong in what you're saying, and I might have been wrong, but then I want to know why I was wrong and learn from the people, my peers, um, who will explain to me why I was. She's the chairperson for the Society of British Dental Nurses and has been involved in the production of numerous guidance documents. Currently, she's working on an exciting project in the Northwest, improving the health of elderly care home residents, as well as working in a number of hospices. Emma, we're extremely excited to speak to you today and we can't wait to hear your story with your hosts, Josh Hudson and Julia Bruin. Tell us about your early career with Ellis Paul. Ellis Paul was a fluke, the biggest, bestest fluke in all the world. Um, I left school at 15 and um, I wanted to be a dental nurse. I'd always wanted to be a dental nurse. I was very lucky with that although I was um, the, the career advisor did sort of tell me not to go down that path. And um, my mum and I just wrote letters, letters of proper letters with a, with a name on the front and a stamp and we went and posted them. And we found about 10, 10 dentists in um, Manchester and Ellis Paul was one of them. And um, St. John Street was, I think it still is, is the Harley Street of Manchester. So when that came back, and your mum, of course, was a dental my nurse. My mum was a dental so, nurse. So it she was, kind of... Oh, she knew all about him. The, the envelope came through and it actually had his, um, his his name and everything on the envelope. And I can still see it now. It was in a long envelope like this. And my mum was, it's Alice Paul, it's Alice Paul. And I'm going, who's Alice, you know, who's Alice Paul? You don't understand because my mum had worked for Curers and she knew quite a few people um, in dentistry. She said, he's, he's so well known, Emma. So I said, right, okay. So we went, mum came with me. I'm not embarrassed to say. And we met him and he said, yeah. And I wanted to go, even back then, I wanted to go on the YTS because I wanted to learn on the job. Uh, and I, I learn better like that. So, so isn't that fascinating? Because we're now looking at apprenticeship. Yes. With dentistry yeah. now. And, I, and yeah. I think that, you know, who would have said it 20 years ago that we're going down that educational path of apprenticeship. I've, I've encouraged both my kids to do that. Um, it's, for me, it's like driving. I wouldn't want to put my daughter in a car if she'd not got any road sense from being in a car with me, looking how mm. how you manage a road. I've learned so much by working with him. I could have been academically the bestest, bestest dental nurse in the world, passed all the exams. It doesn't make me a good dental nurse. It's, it's, it's understanding people, calling them in, pe managing people, managing their moods, managing his moods. I'm not saying he was, but you know, people do. Um, so for me, the YTS worked for me because I was learning every day and yeah. you couldn't put that in a textbook. But but this is a guy who has shaped 400 oh. dentistry like nobody else no. has since, you know, I mean, but yet nobody's come on um, 
in that scene, but actually we're still using all of his yes. things from all of those years ago. So actually his legacy will carry on. His legacy will carry on. I mean, it, you imagine as a fit, you, you know what a dental surgery looks like. So you're 15, you walk in and it is just a plank of wood like this with it, and it's got a sheet over it and that's his bed. That is the, that is the dental chair. And you're like, well, hang on, shouldn't it go up and down? Nope, that, they lie on that. But, but what if they have a bad back, Mr. Paul? They lie in bed, he'd say. <laughs> and he was right. Yeah. So we had to learn how to approach them, sit them down into the bed, support them. No instruments on his side at all. They were all on my side. And he, we had to know what instruments he wanted. And that sounds, I suppose some people are thinking, oh, it's a bit pretentious and he's just handing his, his hand. No, but it got me invested in their care because then I was, I was invested in that patient's journey then. Right, what will he want next? He'll need this, he'll need that. Shade, I had to know what shade he wanted. Um, I, I had to put the uh, matrix band, he'd have it on. When we were doing etch and bond, I'd be, I'd be washing the etch off and drying it. Not him, he very, very rarely used his three in one. It was the nurse that did that. And he'd have us sat higher up so we could look in. So my posture was better. And I'm trying to do my posture now because if he was watching me now, he could see my round shoulders. Why did he want us up higher? Yeah. Because we could see in the mouth. And if I can't see in the mouth, he didn't want to do the treatment because it was important that I saw what was going on. But that's not rocket science, is it? That that makes complete and utter sense. So I was invested in all of it. And even now when chair siding, I've got to have the seat up. In theatre, a few years ago, I couldn't see. I've got to step and I'm, I'm quite tall. But I said, I need to see what I'm doing, but why? Well, no, I'm part of this team. I'm part of that treatment. So should I not be seeing what's going on? And because I did, I liked, I followed the journey through. Oh, he was brilliant. He was absolutely, we did courses. I taught on the courses, went over to Belfast, did the courses with him. Um, and it is so important as, a, as an add-on, my mum has, has oh, last five years had um, back surgery, spinal surgery, where she's got the titanium pins in her back and the consultant said it was because of dental nursing. So it is so important. How many of us in the dental profession suffer from our backs. I've got backache. And he saw this 36 years ago. Come yeah. on. That's why visionary. I say pretty groundbreaking for visionary. those, people, those was, people who didn't know him. He was visionary also about involving the dental nurse. He saw the potential of the dental nurse. She was as important part of the team as anybody else, which again, I think we've lost a bit of that as well. So he saw that. So that sounds really interesting and really insightful um, starting your career in that way. But if you were going to describe those early years in terrifying. three words, okay, so terrifying. Terrifying. What would your other two descriptive words be? Um, or is it just terrifying with a three I can't words? because you'll edit this later. <laughs> um, it was it was so long ago, I can still smell the surgery. I can still, the first day walking in, my job initially was going and getting, can I allow to say the cigarettes for the other dental nurses? And my job was taking the money to the bank. I was gently brought into it. Um, so for, you cleaned the floors, you, you, you cleaned everything out. I probably ended up wearing most of the, the mixing of the alginate <laughs> and Impregum, if anybody remembers Impregum back then, was more of my white uniform, which my mother had starched within an inch of its life so I couldn't <laughs> move. Um, he used to throw, he'd, he'd say if you sat here, he, he launched quite a few things at me. Um, and But it made me the person I am today, I think. I loved it, I absolutely loved it. And I look back on it um, with real fond memories, really do. It made me the person I am today. 
if that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. So he's to blame. <laughs> he's <laughs> he's to blame. Mr. Paul's to blame. <laughs> I mean, Alice Paul is phenomenal, but the team around, we forget these, he was, he's fantastic, but there was a team around it. And I was molded by these older people who were in there. I'm saying older, they were, my, they were probably younger than me now, but at 15 walking in, um, it, yeah, I'm, I was a moody, I think I was a moody, they'd probably say I was a moody teenager. But again, they, they, they've shaped me to be the person that I am today. Um, but I think he saw in me that I loved mouths. And that sounds really <laughs> sad. No one I've got no friends, isn't it? I just love mouths. I just am fascinated by them. And he would he would start at the beginning and reconstruct this mouth. And that would just be absolutely fantastic for me. And yeah, um, but his, his, his vision back then, 36 years ago, was just fantastic, just phenomenal. So I, I think we can all see and hear the influence that he's had on you. Somebody else that even at this point seems to be cropping up quite a lot is, is your mum and the fact that she was a dental nurse. And I want to bring it back to you saying you always wanted to be a dental nurse. So what, what's the story there? Is that your mum's influence that you always wanted to be a dental nurse? And how did she play into this early part of your career? I'd, lo I'd love to tell you that we sat down and had a meaningful chat and I'm holding, I'm, I'm handing over the Yanka sucker to you or I don't know, <laughs> the dental mirror to you, Emma. But no, I, I, she wasn't actually nursing when, when I was a young child. Uh, she worked for um, Cura's in Manchester and Dr. Cura was, he did the, he, he actually uh, produced the Cura Anchor system. So he was very, very well known and um, his sons, Hans and Peter, she, she worked with those. In her later years, she worked with Tony Kravitz, who was quite big. Uh, he, I think he's been the chair of the BDA. I think he's been quite, he's a pivotal role in dentistry as well. Um, but my mum just, we were fascinated by mouths. We'd all, it might sound daft, but my nana at 90 kept all her teeth and that fascinated me. Cause even back then that was, that was something to behold. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, she insisted on me having braces and, and I loved having my braces. I mean, what child enjoys having, having braces and seeing the teeth moving? Yeah. Nobody, it's like I say, I was, I was quite alone and no one had come <laughs> out for a drink with me or anything. Um, but I was always fascinated by mouths. Um, and even back then though, you know, you, 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 the career officer wanted to trying to trying to steer you away from being a dental nurse. That was wrong. You know, just I think they had this sort of picture of what a dental nurse could be. Um, and I remember saying, "But you can become a hygienist." And this is nothing against hygienists. I just knew I didn't want to do that. Mm. I knew I wanted to be a dental nurse, and I just didn't know where that was going to take me. And look where it has taken me. Which brings us beautifully on to sort of the next question, really, because obviously Ellis Paul was a initial part of mm. your career, but then you went to work in specialist perio practice and then worked in Manchester Dental Hospital. So two, again, very different environments. So talk us through those um, environments. You know, I looked, when we looked at, you, you asked me what I'd done, I, there was a period of time where I seemed to have quite a lot of jobs and I was flitting from one to another but I was there for a few years at each one and I think it was like a sponge trying to sort of find my way and um Philip Green who again has, has influenced me um he he used to um rent rooms from El from Ellis Paul and he was a perio guy a specialist perio guy and we also had David Cohen who was doing um a specialist endo and then he asked me to go and work at his perio practice and perio has this thing of being boring and oh it's, it's a bit tedious no it's not 
he's brilliant. No, was, I would agree. Didn't, you know, I don't think it's boring at all. People yep. would say to me, what, what do you want to do that for? Oh, you've not, you, you, you honestly, brilliant. And he, he's, he is, he's an artist where Perio's concerned. He's just brilliant. And uh, he worked, we had Maggie Jackson working with us then. Um, and I've been lucky to work with some phenomenal hygienists in my time as well. And Maggie was and still is. And I really enjoyed my time with um, with Philip Green. And then this job came up at the dental hospital. Now, my mum had worked at the dental hospital. So I thought, why not give that a try? And they were very excited. They were very exciting, interesting times. If any of you have worked within the dental hospital, um, yeah, they were they were interesting times. That's all I'll say to that. We were fun times, really fun times there. Um, I worked for Pat Heap was our senior there, and Pat Heap is another lady who was I, I, I think is a legend for dental nurses in dentistry. But she was scary, Julia. She used to put she used to wear a cape and she'd come through cons with this cape on, and you'd hear it wafting. But she deliberately wore shoes that were silent, and so she she you couldn't hear her. But I think everywhere needs somebody like that, yeah. especially that I'm like old school. You, said, you know, these people that are in our dental lives stay in our dental yeah. souls forever. They they, they don't no. ever go away. They are deep seated within there. And even if you've had the most terrifying time with them, we've still learned things from all of them, haven't we? Yes. Um, looking back now, she was right. I should have been running through cons, singing Robin Hood, Robin Hood, riding through the Glen. <laughs> and, um, you know, that isn't a very good um, image, to, you know, and she, she did she did uh, pull me up a few times. But I just loved, I loved my job there. And the I learned loads from students. Yeah, I learned so much from students. And um, being a nurse assisting students is an interesting, and I think we should all do it. Uh, it's terrifying for them as a student to be left with a patient. So that you, your role changes there where you're trying to guide them as to what yeah. to do. So yeah, the dental hospital was a fantastic time. Um, and I'm still in touch with a lot of people from the, they'll probably hear this today and um, Andrea, who I know really well, we're still in touch now to this day. And again, they've shaped me. Um, but yeah, the dental hospital was a fantastic time. And then, so moving on from there, um, what was the the point that you then kind of pivoted, so to speak, into your role as a more of an oral health practitioner and kind of moved away from from that environment? Then the, um, there was a the, the job job was advertised at North Manchester General, and I wasn't I was quite happy where I was, but I felt I always go with my gut, gut instinct, um, and I thought maybe it's time. Was I getting too comfortable at the dental hospital? Mm. Yes. Yeah, I think um, people can resonate. And, 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 I, and, I, and I don't mean that. Please don't think I mean it in a, in a, in a derogatory way, but I, would, I just needed to sort of move on from that. Um, and the job was going in MaxFax at uh, North Manchester General. And I started there. And um, probably looking back, that's when my life completely changed. I was there a few years and I'd got my oral health certificate. And at that time, I think I was the second year to take the oral health uh, back then. Uh, I got a merit in it because I did it on implants, which back then was implants were, whoa, we've never seen anything quite like this. So that's why I got the merit. It wasn't anything I thought. It was just <laughs> something really new. And um, I'd got this certificate in oral health and I wasn't using it. And um, I thought to myself, I should be, I should be using this. I've got it. What's the point in, you know, doing all the studying and getting this? And um, I went to my boss at the time, Jean Taylor, 
And I said, would it be possible for me to go on the wards? Um, and she said, absolutely. But it'll have to be done in your own time because we can't release you from from your hours in, in Max Fax. So we had a half day off each week. Mm -hmm. So on an afternoon, I would go on the wards. And in the evenings, I'd go on the wards. Um, and I learned, good God, I learned a lot there. I remember the first day I ever went onto the ward and I walked on and I looked at this mouth and I went, well, why is this not being cleaned? Well, I was pro <laughs> I was frog marched off because I wasn't being, I wasn't being, I just, in my mind, why I wasn't this is my, what I'd not done was I'd not gone on the ward and asked the sister in charge, could I come on the ward? <laughs> could, am I allowed to come and see this patient? And number two, don't judge them, they were busy. Yeah. Um, and I learned from that day on and um, yeah and then I just it just snowballed from there and I know I said at the beginning I've been lucky I was lucky with my managers um, Jean Taylor believed in me and then I had another lady Debbie Jones who said let's make this a permanent oral health role as an oral health practitioner and I believe I could be wrong because this was 24 years ago I don't think there was anybody else doing it but I, I could be wrong on that um, but Pennine, as it was then, Pennine Acute Trust put me in a role. It was a day a week to do the oral health. And then it just went because they realised it needed doing. So I covered the four hospitals within Pennine full time, um, improving oral care. And it was tough uh, because a lot of nurses were, well, we don't need to be shown how to clean the mouth. But then they did. And it, it just slowly but surely learned a lot about myself from that and we did we we improved things from there and then I you got... must have been fascinated to hear about the covid stories yes about you know the, the impact of covid and the mouth and people in intensive care units then a, a different um treatment pathway created for those people who were ventilated i mean that must have been oh, it was, music to your ears it was, to then yeah hear that and think wow yes well i kind of knew that already i we, mean we did i think a, a lot of dental people probably thought that but it was the healthcare um provision during covid times that i think has just made everybody change it's turned uh, it on its head yeah but 26 years ago we knew we knew that well i i certainly i certainly did um and we it wasn't rocket science to me as you know keep the mouth clean it's affecting them you know it'll keep the body clean it'll help keep, when I say the body a body and the mind will be okay um and obviously we were my primarily my my role was with head and neck cancers because obviously I was working in max fax so I was looking after them from start to finish of their treatment but then they and then I started going to the breast Macmillan nurses they wanted me to see them. the chemo ward wanted me to see them so that's how then my manager Julie Hulston who is, is probably a, a hero to me, approached Matt Millen and said, well, why? Yeah, so, I mean, that obviously brings us on to talking about your role within the Macmillan um, charity. Yeah. So talk, talk us through that, that particular it role was, and, what, you've, and yeah. what you're involved with there. She, she, she thought, well, hang on, there's Matt Millen, and I, I'm still of this opinion today, there are Matt Millen professionals for every field in, in, in healthcare. And... Um, I, we approached them and said, can we do, you know, Emma's doing this job already. Um, by keeping the mouth clean, they're having a better patient journey. You know, yeah. oral mucositis was getting decreased. The levels were grade two instead of grade four because we were preparing them for the journey and keeping the mouth clean. So she approached Macmillan and they said yes. So I was adopted to be the Macmillan Oral Health Practitioner. 
Um, and it was the only one of its kind in the UK. And to date, they, they, they've not, I don't think anybody else has done it. So you're going around educating? I was um, for- what, what, are you, what are you doing in that Now moment? I'm trying to, um, with, with the society now, we're trying to get it off the ground again. Um, and I think with what's gone on the last two years, we might have a chance now. It's, it's all down to finances and the belief in it. And if I'm also allowed to say that, I think within, because I, I, I now sit between dental and um, you know hospital care, we tend to be a little bit insular within the dental field where we don't seem to commune. We think we do, but we don't. Um, and it, it is difficult and the mouth gets missed in this. I've got a little old lady currently at 92 in Rochdale where she's got a tumor in her mouth. The GP wouldn't see her because it's mouths and the dentist said it's a tumor. So the doctor should be in and it, backwards and forwards, backwards Some and agenda. forwards. Um, so I think we need to get together and look at the role as um, an H, sort of a healthcare worker who, uh, an oral district nurse, I know what I mean. Somebody who, who yeah. is there, not just for their oral care, but to educate. Prevention is 100% the key in getting out and educating. Um, we mentioned this, we presented at COP26 for the society on um, elderly care and oral care, but we need somebody out there promoting it and and, 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 and giving advice to people with head and neck cancers, who, who are patients with Alzheimer's, patients with tumours, anywhere in the body, the mouth affects everything. Um, it's a no brainer to me. And as, as you know, I'm not very, I'm, I'm not really academic, but it's a complete no brainer. Um, and we're hoping with the society that we can maybe look at getting Macmillan interested again as to maybe getting dental professionals adopted within Macmillan, because why shouldn't why shouldn't they be? My speech and language are adopted yeah. by Macmillan. Dietitians are. We are on that. We are pivotal in that care, because if they can't eat, they're in hospital. Then they get an aspiration pneumonia. Then they get you know it, it, it was so important in the patient's journey. Yeah. But I think we need to look, we need to accept that and believe that too. So I think all of that work that you've just talked about kind of brings us on to what, what Julia mentioned right at the start about this current project that you're doing, looking at um, oral healthcare for elderly patients and to um, make sure that that's improved and to try and limit the amount of those patients that are going into hospital with, with issues. Can you tell us a little bit more about that project? Yeah, within my current role at the moment, um, there's a couple of, I've got a couple of um, oral health educators who, who I manage who now go into, I think there's 42 care homes in Rochdale and the same in Oldham. So they're going in there and promoting oral care and training them on oral care, which is really, really important because as, as, as some listeners will know, CQC is now going in and grading um, homes on on their um, oral care and their equipment, the training. So, but we started this before that because we 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 knew that the elderly are a group very very close to my heart. By the way, um, who who often get missed within these care home environments. Yeah. Hospices they tend to be looked after quite well, and I, I work in you know I, I train in, in, in three hospices up up in uh, the northwest. My view is that these care homes are hospices. You know, they are a place where they're their home. Fundamentally, that is their home. That bedroom is their home. Um, but 
it is a place for them to go towards the end of their life. So for me, that's a hospice. Yeah. So they should get the, the same level of care. So the girls and I, we, we really promote that within these care homes. I have to say it's challenging and the care staff are phenomenal and they've never, they've never had any training in oral care. They, 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 you know, we know how to approach a mouth. We know how to approach a person to do oral care. And I think people are a bit intimidated by the mouth, aren't they? Yes. I mean, I think, you know, we've certainly um, touched on it earlier when you were saying about going into wards. You know, I think nurses are quite happy to deal with all sorts of other body secretions, but yep. actually, they're they're not big on on dealing with things in the mouth, are they? They don't. They would. They're by their own admission, they don't want to do it. Um, they know it needs doing. Yeah. And they are, by the way, that they are trying to do it. They are. I'm not saying they're not, but it's one of those that. Well, I, I, I personally believe it's the most difficult part of the body to clean. I really do. Uh, and now you've got patients with Alzheimer's who are, can be very, very challenging. Um, so we, we, we have techniques, um, the desensitizing technique before we dive in. We, you know, we train them on that. Um, an approach but we're guided by them as well because they know they know their residents what we don't go in and, and is you know you need to do this you need to do that and often they're edentulous so a toothbrush isn't what they need um but and they don't know the anatomy of the mouth we're asking them to clean a part of the body that they you know and they have to know probably you know i'd i would say some experienced dental nurses would have trouble cleaning some of these mouths they really would Look at the lady we found the tumour in under a denture. That's complex care now. She's ninety-two. It's a complex person to look after, and yet these care these 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 care workers have got to deal with that. Um, and also, you know, my journey, I, I I deal with end of life an awful lot as well, and that's something that there's no courses for that. Mm. There's no preparation for sitting with somebody who's passing, and yet the mouth is so important on that journey towards the end as well. So fundamentally, what we try to do is make sure whoever does pass has a mouth that can be kissed goodbye, you know, or can smile or can cry mm. if they want to. Uh, but I've seen some atrocious mouths. I removed one denture in a home and there was maggots right the way underneath it. And this is 2022. This, this shouldn't be happening. So Emma, listening to everything that you've had to say, you're clearly really super passionate about everything that you do. I'm just intrigued as to what motivates you. So you were that person that wanted to go onto the wards and you were told, yeah, you can do it on your day off in your evenings. And you went, yeah, okay, I'll do that on my day off on my evenings. And there was a, a role that didn't even exist that through the help of your colleagues, you kind of made happen because you thought that it needed to happen. And then you're now working on these projects, helping out the elderly, another area that you think needs the help. And what motivates you to do all of that? What motivates you to to push forward and to make change? Improving patient care, improving the patient journey. And and that sounds very X factor. And um but fundamentally that was it. Yeah. And wanting to wanting to push myself, if that makes sense. You mm. you can stay and do what you're doing, but unless you have a go and I've made mistakes, I've probably and I learn every day. Every day you learn something new, but there was there was a need for it within the hospital um, on the wards. So just because somebody else wasn't doing it, and at the time management, well, we don't think so. But you can do it in your own time. Why not do it in my own time? 
you know, I, I, I was improving the end of life. And that's dead special. I get dead jokes when I talk about it, but sitting with somebody passing- It's a privilege, isn't it? Oh, he, I, I, he's just amazing. It's, it's such a special time. And to be able to be there when they take their last breath. And I'll never, there's, they, they won't mind me saying, there was a, there was a patient called Roger it was my head and neck patient. And um, I learned so much from Roger and his family. He he knew he was passing. He'd had lichen planus that turned nasty. And we operated again, but it turned nasty. And I remember going to his home and we knew the time, we knew it was um, imminent. He still wanted his teeth brushing. And it was dead powerful for me that because I must have looked at him and we were very close by this time. We, we, we had a bit of banter between us. And um, I looked at him as if to say, do you, are you sure? And he went, I want to meet him with a clean gob. And a gob, for those who don't know what a gob is, <laughs> in Manchester is a mouth. And it meant something to him. So even when he was facing his last few hours with us, he wanted his mouth clean. And he also wanted his mouth clean for his grandchildren. He had this. He had a big tumor, and it was it was fungating out of uh, out of his cheek. But kids are funny. Kids are weird. They don't see this. They see granddad, and they noticed that his mouth was dry, and that was all that was bothering them. Not this tumor. Not the fact that it was ravaging Roger, but they saw granddad's mouth. He needs to clean his mouth, and it meant something to him right to the end. That's so powerful. That. That, that is so powerful, that this little area of the body that often gets missed is so important to a human being when he's leaving us. And Well, I, I think, you know, you talk about that, but, you know, we make this whole big thing about the start of our life, don't we? The yeah. birth yeah. Of, of a child. And yet we don't necessarily talk about the end bit of our lives. And I think... We're not you... very good at that. And Dame Saunders, who founded our hospice movement here, uh, in the UK, wanted to help us live till we die. But we don't like talking about, we're all gonna pass at some point. Um, and the way we care for them at the end is, is as much, so important. Birth is beautiful. Death can be beautiful if it's handled in the correct way. Um, but again, having having seen some mouths, they never forget, the relatives never forget that mouth if it's crusty and it's dry and it's painful. They don't, that, we still can, we still get complaints about that. You weren't cleaning in mum and dad's mouth. It's not that we're not, but as they as they enter that final stage, the mouth does suffer. So it's sitting them down saying, look, I know it's dry, but it's dry because of ABC. This is what you can do, involving them into the care. Yeah. Because it, yeah, I can go and do it, but isn't it important for them to be involved in that care as well? Um, but the mouth goes on that journey right towards the end. Um, we even clean the mouth, lubricate the mouths of people who've passed. If the coroner's not involved, we can clean the mouth, get it clean, lubricate it for when the parents or the, the daughters or the sons come in to say goodbye to that person because they often pass with the mouth open. It's so important because I can still see my uncle when he died. You, you can still, and anybody who's lost somebody, you remember that, you remember the mouth. Because once a dental nurse, always a dental nurse. You know, you remember that mouth. But even anybody who's lost somebody, the lips are one of the last things you look at. Because that's what makes us human, isn't it? I remember cleaning the mouth of somebody who'd passed. 
and um, I always get choked when I talk about this, lubricated the lips and the, the, the mother came in to say goodbye and she said, thank you for doing his mouth. So I said, no, you're welcome. She said, I was the first person to kiss those lips. I'm now going to be the last. That's what it means. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, what that's, it means. Yeah. Thank you for sharing no. those stories. I mean, that is, you know, making me <clears throat> go a bit. But that's yeah. not toothbrushing yeah. paste. No. It's not fluoride treatment. It, it, it's being, that's what makes us human. It's called real life, I think, isn't it? It is. She took, she, and then she, I took him to all his ortho appointments. Yeah. I did this, you know, his hair was, everything was right, but the mouth was what was important to her. You know, and I'm gonna kiss him goodbye. And I can kiss him goodbye because his mouth's clean. That's what I'm here for. End of. Sorry, it's gone dead depressing now, has not it? <laughs> We're going to change the subject completely, <laughs> please. <laughs> and, and I, I, I think it's, um, you know, you're, you've you've been you've said on many occasions during this interview how lucky you feel because you have found yourself in places and you have got some amazing experiences that you are developing on and we're getting initiatives uh, in parts of the country, which I'm sure will be rolled out nationwide if we're lucky. So those are really great things. How would you motivate a colleague who was perhaps in a bit of a career rut? I mean, after all, this this podcast is here to inspire and to educate by experience and do all of those things that we really hope this um, podcast will do. But what do you think could motivate a, a colleague in a career rut. We can all make a difference no matter where we're working, whether we're in general practice, we're on a ward, we are a community dental nurse. Anybody within dentistry, does it have to be a dental nurse? You know, I'm sure dentists get in ruts. I'm sure hygienists get in ruts, you know. But also, I think it's important that the dental team is the is the receptionist is is it is right from 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 the walking in. They can get in a rut, but we make a difference. Dentistry more than ever is in the headlight is in in, in the in the um in the news at the moment. And because you know it's under so much pressure, we have got a job to do. We improve lives, we save lives as well by keeping the mouth clean. Let's not let's not make any bones about this. A clean mouth saves lives. And another thing it does is it improves mental health. And mental health is a big thing that the SBDN is involved with at the moment. So every patient is an, every, every time you see an, a patient, it is an opportunity to improve their quality of life. That's, that's all I would be saying. And that goes for everybody within the dental team. And that's all I've tried to do. And that's all I do on a day-to-day -day basis is try and improve their journey and improve their life. And the relatives as well, you know, and the dental phobics, if they're coming in, spend time with them. You could go on and on and on. But I think we do we do get in a rut. What I've done is when I felt I was getting in a rut, I wrote an article for a journal. You know, and dental nurses will go, well, I can't write an article for the journal. Yes, you can. Why can't you? Well, all I am is a dental nurse. Oh, I've had a pound for every time we hear that. You've got experiences. You know, some of these nurses have actually seen patients come in at the age of two and three right the way through to 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 be married with kids you know the experience we should be harnessing that you go and write an article get involved in your practice get involved in community reach out to speech and language speech and language therapists they are phenomenal by the way speech and language therapists 
get get with them the diet local dietitian your local schools we do focus an awful lot on uh fives and, and 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 i think we should do but there is another group we should be you know targeting women of a certain age the menopause is in in the news so much at the moment there's so many initiatives i'm sorry i'm i'm, I'm rabbiting on but we should be looking look for the next goal develop yourself don't wait for somebody else to do it please because you've got to do it you've got to be the catalyst and i always thought if i don't if i don't have a go what if i lost and i've learned so much but i, I must stress i have been lucky with the people that you know I've, I've been surrounded by but you do make your own look so so along those same lines th- thinking uh, thinking about all of that if there's one thing that you could tell everybody to either start doing or stop doing in terms of the dental field what what would you want them to start doing or stop doing? Broaden the horizon. Don't be so insular. And I'm sure people are shouting at me now saying, it's all right, but <laughs> communicate with the out, the outside world, outside of dentistry. Look beyond dentistry and get sort of liaise with them. Um, because in my view, we are very much, we keep ourselves to ourselves. Reach out because they are all wanting to get involved. You know, your local care home is wanting some advice, um, but don't just think it stops with that dental surgery or that checkup or whatever. Get your horizon, give yourself something to do. Please write an article for a journal. We're always looking for people to write articles for journals, um, studies. Well, I want to hear your experiences. Everyone's got a journey. Everyone's got a life, you know, and people need to hear that. But we are in. I, th- I think we're insular. But my, maybe I'm just being. That's just me. But I have. I've, 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 I've. I looked at when before I came down here. How many years I've been in this? It's thirty six years. I've been in this business. Business. Sound like <laughs> an old singer, don't I? Um, I've been in this business thirty six years, and I do think we need to start thinking that the mouth is part of this body that we all live in, and um, start making plans and making links with other healthcare professionals because they want it. Look at the Matt Millen role. And that's something we can all do. Oh, absolutely, yes. absolutely. And it might be in your own time, it, you know, and, and I know I stand on the stands with the, the society, morale is pretty low at the moment, um, but haven't we all learned something over the last two years? It's, I think it's been like a reboot really yeah. for us. Yeah. That's yeah. How, how I say, in, in my job, um, it has been a reboot. And now's the time I feel for dental nurses to stand up and say, right, come on now. You need, you know, we, we they were needed. My colleagues were on wards. They were in intensive care, as you, you were mentioning before. Yeah. Um, but you know, they were they were going into care homes. They were dealing with hospice at home. They were, de- you know, taking food to people. We were we're a fantastic resource. We're the biggest DCP group. Make use of us. And um, and what do you think your society is particularly? Do, is, are there any initiatives that? You wanted to share with us about what your society is doing? We're a small society, but a society that I am passionate about. Um, Fiona Elwood is our patron who, who who started this society up. It's education and education from the student right the way through, but also that, that dental nurse who's been in practice 30 years, who's quite happy in practice, she needs developing as well. And she needs respecting as well, because that I often think they get missed. I really do think they, but without them, no one could practice. Yeah. You know, they are so, so important. And hygienists will know that. They, a good nurse, 
a, a loyal good nurse is worth, <laughs> blimey, you know, you, you, they are, they're so valuable. But for the society, it is about education. We've got some working groups on oral health, mental health. Um, we want people involved, come and get involved with us. Um, we, we're trying to get regional groups together. But again, as dental nurses, we can't do it all. They need to meet us halfway. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, if you're saying you want a change, you've got to be part of that change. Yeah. I can't do it all on my own. Yes. I am a gobby Mancunian who's <laughs> come down here to my, into London today. And I hope you can see my passion for dentistry and oral care, but I, I need them to meet me halfway, you know, and we can improve things if they meet us halfway, but it can't, they've got to help us. But the society is something I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about. Tell us about your volunteer work within the hospice, because I know that you're educating lots of people in that environment and making a colossal difference to many, many patients. I certainly hope so. We've got three really uh, fantastic hospices where I work. Uh, can I mention them? Am I allowed to mention them? I think absolutely. <laughs> Thank the you very much. <laughs> I, I think are one of the unsung heroes because they're all privately um, yeah. funded, aren't they? You know, that's why we've got to Thank yeah, you very much. champion their causes. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, Spring Hill Hospice, uh, Rochdale, Berry Hospice in Berry, obviously, and Dr. Kershaw's in uh, Oldham. And um, I'm involved um, in the early days again with the, with the Pennine role, it was very much within Pennine. So the Macmillan role was working within Pennine. Um, so what I did was re- I sort of reached out to these hospices because it was really important um, that they got the, the same level of support that the, the, the ward staff were getting. I should, however, say that the oral care within the hosp- these three hospices is phenomenal. They are bang on because the care they have a dedicated time to that person. These hospices are just, it's a different atmosphere when you walk into these hospices. Even the staff are different. I just think they're heroes. But it was important that we kept them up to date on changes within oral care because there's different products, there's different techniques. Um, pink sponges, pink, pink sponges, as you know, were banned. Yeah. So we had to sort of look at different ways to clean the mouth. And all three hospices embraced it. Um, Adele, uh, Dr. Kershaw's got me in to do uh, many sessions. We've trained all the staff who I trained back in the day. Uh, I still, We still do now, I still do now. Um, we do um, the day uh, the day centre comes in, so the relatives come in, so we speak to the relatives as well. And we're lucky enough that, you know, companies out there have now realised that products need to be developed and used. They do. And- they do, and that, that those sorts of things will make a big difference to our patients we, too. You know, we need the pro- we do we need the products. Without the products, we can't. But they have to be used correctly. That is something that I've learned, where especially with the hospices are concerned, is that sometimes they've got a, a side of all these products that we've people have thrown at them. Use that, use that. They're a bit confused as to what what's doing what. Yeah. So yes. what we did was we stripped it right back. You need this, this, and this. What's really important with hospice, it, with the hospices, is involving the relative if they if they're lucky to have a loved one with them. Um, but those three hospices have just been absolutely brilliant. I'm in there um, in the next couple of weeks back at Berry Hospice. So are you educating the? care home workers or are you also doing it a little bit for the loved ones like you said both both right okay we open it up to the um the family members as well they need to know take an oral gel they need to know how to apply that oral gel it's not as simple as just rubbing some gel in or because i don't want them occluding the airway i don't want them putting too much in so educating them on the importance of that and the frequency 
frequency of using the gel and why am I using a non-foaming toothpaste? Can you go and get me some non-foaming tooth? Well, why do I need it? What is a non-foaming toothpaste, Emma? Get them invested. I know I keep using the word invested, but they need to be invested. And also, that relative's going through a pretty tough time as well. You know, we forget that they're watching their loved one pass. So they need support as well. And they don't need me stood there with a toothbrush going, you need to brush the teeth. You know, we're talking about hospice care, but actually we really could be talking about people treating patients in general practice who have got diagnosis of cancer of of all sorts of different parts of the body. I mean, we're just talking about end of life here, but actually we could be really talking about um, our patients generally and, and given the statistics around cancer. Well, uh, yeah. you know, we're, we're dealing with it every we're, every working moment. And the cancer rates are going to skyrocket now because we've had two years of, you know, and that's what's worrying me within the care homes at the moment. But when we say palliative care, palliative care is years, can be years. People yes, think course. palliative is, oh, blimey, that's it. It's not. We're, and again, without being depressing, we're all palliative. We're all palliative, right? So I haven't got a crystal ball. So there'll be many people going into a dental surgery who are are on palliative therapy. There's end of life care and there's last days of life. Those are the three sections that we deal with. So palliative is not this imminent death. So, and I, 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 in my head, we all are. So people in practice, professionals in practice can be managing that too. You know, I see your mouth's a bit dry. Um, I, you know, and you know, I, I often get told, "Well, it's only dental. This teeth is dental. This, it, it. No, please, you know, you don't. The last thing they need is a toothache towards while they're an undergoing cancer treatment, um, and you know, an ill-fitting denture. This lady who I was mentioning, the ninety-two-year-old uh, with the tumor. One thing she wants to do is put her teeth in. She wants to die with her teeth in. So that te- that denture needs adapting. My dental, pra- one of the dental practices can do that for me. That's how important they are. They don't think they are, but they are. We're all part of this team. Small things aren't small, are they? No, no. They're absolutely, absolutely colossal. Huge, <laughs> huge. So my, for my job is to support the, the actual patient. Fundamentally, the patient is the most important individual closely followed by that family member because they're having to watch their loved one pass. And that is takes some doing. So perhaps, you know, if we're getting towards the end of our um, interview with you, I'd like to perhaps think about the opposite of how we started. So we started by talking about the first uh, early years in your career and using three words to describe that. So, so perhaps we ought to end with three words about where you are now in your career. Hopefully not terrifying still. Settled. That's good. Optimistic. Can I get attractive in there? Was that am I not allowed to do that? Um, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that goes without saying. And hopeful for the future. I know that's forwards. I I think there will be a change now, and I believe everything happens for a reason. We've been through a very very tough time, um, but with the groups I'm involved with, with the Mouth Cancer Foundation, with the with the society, I feel there is a change coming. So no, I'm I'm very very settled. Who knows what the future will hold? for me because I'm always looking for the next article to write or the next guidance to write. My big thing now is care homes and involving the uh, care man, the, the actual managers in the homes writing the, gu- writing the guidance. <laughs> Talking of that subject of guidance, how do you find working in a big group of people? When, you, when you're trying to create guidance documents and those sorts of things, 
working in a big group of people can sometimes be a bit of a challenge. It is. Or, or are there any things that you no, I've, I've, I've seen again, share with that? Again, I, I was part of the U Comic group um, who, and by the way, can I, 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 I encourage people to have a look at the U Comic guidelines for care for the cancer, for cancer patients. Um, I was involved in that. And I was, I was the only, I was, again at the time, uh, I know Josh, Josh Harding is involved with it now. I, I was in, I was at the beginning of that. Um, they, they embraced oral care. They were interested in oral care and they listened to me, but you've got to have that voice to be listened. Um, and you've got to sort of push your way forward. I, I never thought I was going to set the world alight. And I said, I'm not academic, but I hope one thing that comes through with me is my passion for it. That's it. And if people see passion, they'll listen to you. You might be wrong in what you're saying, and I might have been wrong, but then I want to know why I was wrong and learn from the people, my peers, um, who will explain to me why I was. And then we can sit down and look at the guidance. But sometimes in a big group, you tend to get lost a little bit, but you've got to be a little bit, hang on, you know. Yeah. And, and I can get away with it because I'm hands-on doing it. Does that make sense? Yes. It, it, you, you can't, yeah. and this is why I'm really keen to involve the care managers in the next stage of our training and our guidance they are there day in and day out they should be involved in any guidance that we're producing so because people see through you it's all right writing guidance and protocols if you're not doing it on a day-to-day -day basis you you know people will see through that so i like working in a big team i should say that the matt Mullen role was on my own and it was an interesting few years doing that um, I learned a lot about myself because I was on my own every day. But then I got to know all the teams in the four hospitals and uh, it was good. I do work better in a team. I love I love working in a big team and I love learning. And hopefully I'll carry on learning. Today's been phenomenal for me. You know, I don't well, like talking you've, you've about taught, myself. You've taught us <laughs> lots of things. Definitely. And I'm sure that the listeners, listeners would uh, agree. You, you have taught us all a great deal. Well, thanks for having me and uh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode. We would love to hear your suggestions for future guests. Remember to follow us on social media using hashtag the Eastman Dental Podcast. And if you like what you hear, please like, share, subscribe and listen out for future episodes. Mm -hmm.